Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Thank you, Mary, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here, Christine. And I'll just say for our listeners' sake, I had the opportunity to work with you at Samsung as we were working to advance some of the high potential women that the organization has. So it was just neat because I ended up sitting alongside you at an event and we got a chance to talk about how much passion we have for this topic. And since then, I've been a big fan of yours. So I'm thrilled that you took the time. Well, that's nice of you to say. And yes, I enjoyed working together with you and some of that diversity stuff. So today, of course... I'm going to ask you to talk about your best boss ever. And I know you have lots of thoughts on this one. So I'm going to hand it over. I mentioned to you already, and I'll say it again, that this was a thought provoking topic for me, because I think oftentimes I get asked to talk about my leadership or leadership, but this is really about my experience as I look back on the many, many years of my career and who inspired me and what type of boss slash people manager inspired me me, which is different than that motherhood leadership kind of stuff. So you got me thinking, and I I really had to put some time into thinking about this, but I think I've got it. And here's some of it. I mean, I started my career in technology in the mid 80s. This industry has come a long way since then, of course, but it also speaks to the fact that I've always been in an industry that's very fast paced and very innovation driven. And so while other companies, other industries, you might get into a role and keep within your boundaries, I think in technology, we were sort of blasting all over because there was no real path to follow. So we were charting our own paths in a lot of ways. So combine that with the fact that young Mary gets onto the scene, very ambitious and very competitive and very ready to take on the world. And in this very exciting, dynamic industry. And so when I look back at my best bosses, the ones that inspired me and made me better, it's based on that situation. And I think people management is so situational. And what worked for me, I'll tell you about. That may not work for the same analytical introvert person that maybe isn't quite as ambitious. So here we go. Okay, the first area that I categorize this in would be those bosses that eliminated fear. So I have a couple examples of this. And what that means just really is we can't create innovation. We can't create change, drive change, drive results if we are fearful of our jobs, of trying new things, et cetera, making mistakes. So a couple of things. First of all, early career, Mary, I'm in one of my first sales jobs and I'm ambitious and I'm darn it. I'm going to hit my numbers. I'm going to be an overachiever. I'm going to be the top salesperson. I'm going to beat that darn competitor and I'm going to go for it. I did my work. I did my prep. I did all of that. And once upon a time, I actually lost a deal. It was a big deal and I lost it. Just, I was devastated, right? So this is early in career. I lost the deal. I thought I was all that and I was devastated. I finally got the nerve, went into the office and told my boss that I lost this deal. And he says, I come into my office into his office, shut the door. And I thought, oh no, oh no. I can't believe I've never been fired from a job. Here it comes. Here it comes. How could this be? And he said, okay, let's, let's talk about this. So did you follow the plan and the process that you've been trained and did you do what you're supposed to do? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Did you do the best you could on this deal? Yeah. You know what? I, I put it all out there. I know I did that. He said, can you look back and potentially learn something from this? Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about it. And yeah, there was a couple of things that maybe I should have done differently. Did anyone die? He said, <laughs> no, That's no, fantastic. no one died. No one died. He's like, okay, good. Get out of my office, learn from this, pick yourself back up and go win some more deals based on what you learned. That's excellent. I love, I'm smiling from ear to ear because sometimes you don't need to be beat up. You're already beating yourself up enough. (laughs) We do it enough to ourselves for sure. And this person was just the first time that I thought, oh, okay, chill out a little bit here. We can, we can do this. We got to learn from it. And I'm sure the conversation would be different the next time if I made the same mistake, which is also part of this living in fear and making sure you can try things, you can be innovative, but if you make a mistake, learn from it and don't do it twice. So that's what I've learned later in in my career too. So even currently at Samsung, you know, where I'm in a leadership position, rolling out new products. Some of these products are out there. It's different, different market, whatever. You know, I'm thinking of one in particular over the last couple of years, and it's been, it's a different type of product. So my team and I, we decided, okay, we're going to go try this really different type of distribution channel for it. Seems like it makes sense. It's a huge sales force that could represent this product. It's a compatible market that they're in. This could be really something, you know, this could, if this takes off, boom, because the breadth and the scale of this could be incredible. Of course, I've told the executives back at headquarters, all of this, that we're going after it. Well, we trained them. We set up promotions and incentives. We invested in marketing to support this thing. And guess what? It didn't work. It didn't work. And what did you learn? And that's that's exactly it. We learned that they weren't able to push something new into these same stakeholders. They weren't talking to the right person. The market wasn't quite right on with us. I mean, there's a list of things that we've gone through to say, what did we learn from it? And as long as you do that, we won't do this again. We'll make other mistakes, but we won't do this again. I think there's even stories, if you look back at famous inventors in this world, right? Like how many mistakes did they make before they made that one big invention? The point being, take that knowledge, learn from it, and create an environment. So in my case, I'm in an environment with bosses that allow that to happen. But I also try to create that environment within my team to don't be afraid. It made sense. It was a great bet. Let's go do it. You know, I I love hearing that because I've worked with companies where there's zero room for error or there's zero room for a mistake. And to your exact point, it really kills innovation. I can even think of a few that, you know, might not come out of the pandemic that well, just from really forcing people to be terrified of innovating because innovating means you could fail. You will have spent money on something that didn't work. I think you're right. I think, you know, this idea around fear, especially in the technology space, like the last thing you want is people to be limited in their thinking. And there are still bosses that do create that, you, you know, make that deal at all costs or else, or, okay, you can, you can have that money, but it better work. Right. They don't want to take a chance on anything. You know, I've also heard a term blame culture too, which I think is part of that fear, right? You don't want to be the one, oh, that was the mistake Mary made or Mary made that and now we are all paying for it. Or you know what I mean? I just think like fear and faith is such an important thing that I try to live with always that I just, I can't live with fear. So what other things do you think of when you think of that best boss? Well, I also think about, again, ambitious A-type Mary. I was always going for that next thing. So the way you get it is you got to 
prove that you can do it or prove that you're the right person. So I looked to a couple of bosses that did, that supported me to put myself out there. So for example, one story in a previous employer where I was working in an area that was slightly different from the main business. So they asked me to go in and talk to the senior executives and to some key stakeholders about doing this sort of leveraged business model in a very direct sales business world and to propose that this would be a way for them to grow their business. And so my boss came to me and said, you know, I'd like you to do this a month from now. We'll we'll book a meeting. We'll get all these people together and we'll present this plan. And again, it's off the side of your desk as you're still busy doing whatever you have to do. But yeah, I'm all for it. Let's do it. So I worked on this thing and I would take it to him and we would review it and get his feedback and we would work on it, work on it, work on. And the day came and he says, so you're presenting it. I'm like, Oh, I thought, I thought you were. And I would just be in the background. He's like, no, this is your plan, your idea, your work, you present it. I'll be in the room if you need me, but you're fine. Right. And so off I went a little nervous in front of all these important people but I'd done the work and I went out there and I pitched this plan and the meeting went well. And afterwards the boss came to me and gave me all kinds of props. Great job. Excellent, et cetera, et cetera. And then he also told me, Oh, and by the way, so-and-so in the audience, the senior person, he sent me a text in the middle of saying, Mary is incredible. This is so great. Blah, blah, blah. He gave me this feedback. And so here I am sitting here, how many years later, I don't even remember really what I pitched. I don't even really remember how much of it we, we did, but I remember how that elevated me, that I put myself out there. He gave me the opportunity to put myself out there, to challenge myself, to show everyone, to build my brand. He gave me the opportunity to do all of that and be successful in a platform. He could have easily taken this and got the props himself. Right. But he gave that to me. And so at the end of the day, I remember the so-and-so that texted him about how awesome I was. I remember his feedback he gave me. I don't even remember what we really talked about. When I listen to that, I mean, I'm grinning from ear to ear over here because, you know, one thing we don't think about is bolstering confidence. So I hear not only were you given this great opportunity, which you totally deserved, but when you gain confidence in an environment what you'll do next is even more powerful because you're not limited by your own internal voice of, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? All of those things. And so that bolstering of your confidence is phenomenal. I agree. And you know, the layering of your career is you look back in your career and you say like, what were some of the turning points? And maybe that was a turning point that yes, I can actually do this. And and now I have the confidence and I'll do it again more often. And It'll be more comfortable. And I think about that as far as, you know, there's often times and there's often organizations where we don't allow people to broaden their skills. They come in in this job and they stay in that job. And when we go to hire something over here, no, because she's that person. She's not, she's really good at that. And I think that, you know, this example, but also just, you know, earlier in my career, and I'll tell you, Microsoft was really good at this. They would take high performers. And move them into lateral roles, move them into difference. They're a good salesperson, move them into a marketing role, move them into a services role. And they would move, especially high performers around to give them this rounded out. And and I just don't see that in enough organizations or enough bosses willing to do that. And one of my other examples about this was, and this is years ago, but I was in an individual contributor role. And at Microsoft, but it doesn't really matter. I was going on mat leave, which back then was only a six month leave, but I was going on mat leave and they said, okay, Mary, I want to give your job away. 
I want to hire somebody full-time for your job because when you come back, I want to find you something better. So do you trust me that I can go and backfill your job and trust me that I will bring you in at a higher level? Because of course, at that point, I'm anxious to be a, a manager or whatever, but I'll bring you in at a different role, a different level, and we'll move on from there. Which again, just showed that sort of that boss and that environment was all about creating opportunities to grow and develop and change and not, well, you're that thing. So we'll keep you in this thing and you will stay in that thing forever. Again, like this is another moment where I'm just grinning from ear to ear because the number of women who apologize or feel nervous about leaving for mat leave. I know I even did it during what, you know, my first mat leave, I kept apologizing. And it was like, I was scared of even just trying to convince everybody that I could come back at the same level of performance. I wasn't even thinking about growth. I was just thinking, you know, please, no, I'm not going to change. <laughs> you know? I'll be back. I'll be just as I keen as I ever was. I think of just how many people are nervous about when they leave. Will people view them as not being as high performing because, you know, they will have had this new life experience and they've been out of the office for six months and quote unquote behind. Right. And I just think of all of that, that noise, and not only does it come from the outside and then, you know, obviously women internalize it. So I listen to that and I go, well, how cool is that? And it's funny that if you and I are thinking about this, imagine how subconscious this is in, in so many places, but yeah, just as far as the best boss and being able to just create opportunities to develop and grow and challenge and change and lateral moves and all of those things that just help us become better. You know, it's just a really good point too of he did not have a bias around maternity leave is a matter of fact, almost did the exact opposite of what's instinctive. And I think that's kind of cool. You don't hear those stories as often. So that's a, that's an interesting one. And like you said, lots of opportunity for you to grow. I'm sure you came back from that feeling excited. I was so excited during that break about what, what the next things were. Yeah. Amazing. So a couple of other best bosses I'll talk about. One is just, again, she was a boss a long time ago, but I think if I look back on just somebody that I, I still to this day, and it's been years, I don't even want to say the number, but it's been years since she managed me. But I often think back to how she would handle it because I just thought that she was just the full package. And the main characteristics that bubbled up to me with her was she kept her cool. So she was calm. She didn't flail. She was calm and cool. I watched her in situations once where a customer slash partner treated her very poorly and yelling like it was it was just a really bad scene. And she just folded up her book and walked out of the room. And I thought, good for you. Who knows? It's okay if she went to her car and cried. Who cares? Right. But- Right. She had enough dignity to say, I won't be treated like this. Thank you. So, and then I would see her just in any situation, whether it was customer with executives, with whatever, it was just always that same calm equals confidence personality. Her her communication, I still remember it'd be like, okay, you guys, come here. I got to talk to you about something like the three of you, come here. Here's what we got to do. And it was always that just keeping us on point, communicating what we needed to know about what was happening in a dynamic environment. She was just always good at just those little updates, those little things to keep us, okay, we need to maybe just turn a little bit, but let's just keep going. That was another one of her things. And then building strategies. So, okay, this is the ambitious person being inspired by this. She was managing the business, running the business, but she always had those little side projects that she was working on. And you talked to her 
And she'd be like, yeah, so you know one of the things I'm working on? There was always a problem-solving piece that she was working on. So it wasn't a matter of somebody come to her and say, okay, time now to figure out X, Y, and Z. It was more like she saw situations that could be improved or fixed. And then she was always kind of working on them. And the next thing you know, they'd bubble up and we'd be executing them. But you know what I mean? And so this is somebody that I still go back to and go, okay, what would she have done? Like, this is just this sort of steady base. And maybe that's what I needed. I needed the steady rock. I needed this rock to drive our business and lead our business while I was doing what I do. So I think that was part of it too, to be that rock. She was that rock for me. It's an interesting one because having done these interviews, that calm leader paired up with a very ambitious, maybe emotionally tied, passionate person seems to be an interesting combination that I've now heard quite a few times where it's like, there's that leader that is the steady, just like you said, the rock and kind of keeps everybody like, Hey, no one died. It's all good. Everything's going to, we're going to come along. And then meanwhile, you have this passionate, high energy, high potential employee, and they get to come in and be all those things, but kind of ballast with that, you know, calm and steady. Yeah, it's a good point. And now that I'm a leader, I have to remind myself of that because I know my, where I revert back to, I know I'm that kind of more emotional sort of person. And I need to remind myself of that sometimes. And I need to remind myself to be that rock for others. And I also have to remind myself that when I'm with another me, that we can spin each other out of control. So that's when I know when I'm with other me's, I need to be the rock. The rock. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I have to get back to the rock at some point. (laughs) That's right. Someone in the room has to be the rock. (laughs) But I also love this proactive problem solving that she was doing off the side of her desk. And You know, one thing I work with a lot of leaders who sometimes feel burnt out or they feel like they're not being used for their highest purpose, right? So managing a small team or, you know, rallying a small team is enjoyable, but when you've done it for a long time, it starts to lose some of its oomph. And so I hear that proactive problem solving. I think that's a good example of a leader finding a way for her to stay motivated, like for her to stay inspired on the job. That might've been it, or it might've been the way she's going to be recognized and get ahead. Or it could just be that you saw problems to solve. I'm not sure it was about keeping yourself busy in those days because it was kind of a crazy times, but but still. But just given like lots of energy and excitement sometimes around all those problem solving. So that's cool. Those are fantastic stories. Well, I have one more. And actually, this one's kind of on the same thing. It was the same company, different boss, also female, also calm. And the rock. And I guess maybe that's what I gravitated to as far as strong leadership, especially when I was younger. But this boss had just the incredible ability to build strategy through and with the team. So she was all about driving change, change leadership, doing new things. But she had this incredible ability to get everyone involved in building this. And I still think about it some days and wish I could do this. But this ability to get a group of people together start with the brainstorming, pick those key areas, start to move us forward, revisit it every couple of weeks with a group of people and be able to get to an incredibly great strategy and execution and drive some incredible change within the organization. And of course, if everyone's got their blood, sweat and tears in it, you know, we're already bought in and it's going to happen. And, you know, where there are times where It would just be easier to go off and set this yourself and then come to the team and execute together. But she had such an incredible job of building it with 
the others. And then you've got the buy-in and next thing you know, you're executing. And her analogy she always used was getting on the bus. So the process of getting, and I'm sure this is used by a lot of people. She probably didn't invent this, but I still use this all the time too, right? Just getting everyone on the bus, get them on the bus. Then you're going to decide who's driving, where are you sitting? How are you doing? Where are you going? Like we all are on the bus and we're figuring that out. And then we set the vision and we take off down the road. And there are times when some people are going to fall off the bus and we have to circle back up and pick them up because they don't, they didn't buy in. They don't agree. There's some, some problems we've encountered that we have to do it, but you know, it's about setting the vision, sharing the vision, roles and responsibilities. Who's driving the bus? Who's packing the bus? Who's making sure there's gas in the bus? Like all of those things, roles and responsibilities. So important to kind of setting that up and, and then tracking the results. What's the map? Are we getting close to the right destination? Have we veered off course? Is everyone still on the bus? So she would use that all the time, but she just had such a great ability to pull us all together and make this happen. I I love the analogy. We've heard the term, but actually it sounds even like it was used even more thoughtfully around strategy. It wasn't just, you know, sometimes it's the cultural bust, but I'm hearing that it was also really used to the extent where we're trying to get to a destination and we're going to keep talking about it. Right. And I, I just think Sometimes those models, when you think of how people's brains interpret information, would be so helpful because not everybody has a strategic brain. And so I hear this sometimes where it's hard to get everybody aligned on strategy. This sounds like it was kind of built for everybody to be included. She was incredible at doing that and pulling a lot of people together. I mean, the joke is, and I still stay in touch with her to this day, it'd be like, she's the friend you want to come over when you have to move your house or something too, right? Like right, right. Pull it all together and get it done. So she would obviously bring everybody into the room and get them working on the strategy. But tell me even any specific tactics you saw her do that made it possible. Because I see leaders run sessions and they just nominate the whole session. No, she would do it like at the, she's very methodical, but she would get us in the room. I remember several examples. One time we were at her cottage and oftentimes it would be like, you don't realize it's a burning platform yet. So she's found this burning platform. So she's getting us all involved. So it's it's about brainstorming and what's important to pull forward. And then we take that or we take the three things that we pulled out of that. And then we go to, you know, two weeks from now, the next degree together as a team getting through. And along the way, there might be some takeaway or some follow-up, but it's not like everyone just, okay, one to 10, everyone take a topic and come back and report to me. No, it would be if there's a subject matter expert that would take that off. Otherwise, no, it was and oftentimes she would do a lot of the, okay, pulling it together to make it easier for us kind of thing. Just sounds like she has that ability to facilitate the conversation and make sure people feel included. And then the strategic vision as well. So she knows where she's trying to get everybody in that session. And burning platform was also her, you know, one of her taglines too. So it was like, we all needed to believe in this brain platform along the way too, which was part of keeping people on the bus. If you didn't believe on it, then let's go back. Let's circle around. What could we do to, to address this differently? Is this something we even want to fix and change or build? But that's a great example of getting strategic alignment and ownership. I mean, it's just such a perfect example of that. I, I see so many leaders who set the strategy and then they talk, talk, talk it down into their team. Not that there's anything necessarily, I mean, that's kind of the, the traditional way that it's done. But what I'm hearing here is 
she's not leaving the station unless everybody's on the bus. Exactly. And so we were all on. So by the time we were bringing this to mainstream, we all believed in it. We were all passionate about it. We'd all put our blood, sweat and tears into it. And we were going to make this happen versus the change that comes from above and is handed to you sometimes doesn't, it takes, it takes more revs to get everyone bought in. And we already know, like if you're not fully bought in, even if you're partially bought in, we don't put our blood, sweat and tears in the same way. So if I signed up to get on that bus, I'm going to feel much different about the journey than if I kind of got pushed into yeah. <laughs> getting or on the bus. if you're on the bus and you're not really sure where it's going, as long as you're there for the journey, you know, even if you jump out, then, well, okay, there's something wrong. Christine yeah. jumped out of the bus. Let's figure <laughs> out why. It's such a good story. And it's really making me think a lot about the leaders that I work with who have important strategic outcomes they're trying to accomplish and maybe the ways that they could approach that. Well, Mary, knowing that most of the listeners here are either ambitious types that are on their way to management, or we have some folks that are in management who are ambitiously working to be amazing leaders. They're not settling for less. What would be any last words of wisdom or nuggets that you think could really help that audience along? You know, I think just going back to the things that I started with, first of all, I know I call it faith, not fear, or you can't live in fear. So if you're in a situation where you are being forced to to be in fear, there's something wrong with that. And that needs to be addressed. Either it's in you and your confidence and your ability to do something, or it's being pressure put on you and nothing good happens from that. We need to be confident and faithful, but I always think faith, not fear, like just, we need to know that, that we can do this and we'll be all right. And nobody dies and nobody loses their job. And as long as you only do it once, make the mistakes, break glass, try things, be curious. Like that's all part of this faith, not fear piece. It's sort of be curious, try new things. Don't be fearful or you won't ever push the limits. Oh, I love that. What a fantastic theme. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really appreciated our talk today. It's been fantastic. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.